And welcome to the Halloween special for 2020 of the Outside Centre Film Podcast. Now, one of us, uh, <laughs> and it isn't me, has had a bit of a traumatic time recently. Uh, <laughs> uh, scary times on the podcast, Ben, but scary times in your real life. Yeah, yeah. we don't need to go into the details. We won't go into any of the details. We've, had all, we've done all that off there, but uh, I'm good okay. grief. I will be fine. You will uh, be fine. But uh, yeah, I'm in a lot of pain right now. So um, uh, bear with me if anything gets a bit difficult at any point. The along. film of Ben Woody Wiss's month is my film of the week this week. <laughs> oh, God, don't make me laugh. I can't laugh. It just sounds awful. But, uh, awful. There, are, there are dregs for us to get into in this month. Yeah. And, uh, here's the thing. Like... Justifying the podcast, we always like to try and do that whenever we can with our film choices of foreign language films and stuff. Um, for me, the entire episode justifies the, uh, the the kind of the film podcast existence because uh, we've got four films. Yeah. Uh, half of them are foreign language and they are better than the non-foreign language ones easily. Uh, so there we are therefore justified. Uh, but, and actually, not only are they better than the English speaking uh, ones, uh, although I think the Danish one has is mostly English, I haven't said that. Uh, just remembered that actually. But um, anyway, one, two, four lines of Danish. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, for, uh, passport. We'll talk about that. But uh, anyway, the point is, is that actually not only do you get English language films in here that are of English language and therefore probably disappointing, but they just bring the worst of America with them, and we just thankfully never ever have this have this level of experience uh, in our in our regular episode. So. That's a shame. It's uh, a though, you know. We, we have things, we have things to talk about. You know, one of us nearly died, so that's fine. We can talk about some films. Uh, um, and uh, but it's a, it's such a shame that I mean, we have had ones reach the end of the year list before. We obviously had Pihu last year that did very well, and it did reach the our film of the year list. We've we've also had it follows, as I've said, uh, Kim and Kai the Treasure Hunter. So this episode, it's not a mulligan. You know, there there is always a chance for things to reach the end of the year list. Uh, not quite for me, I don't think this time. But we will talk through them anyway, mm. and I do suspect that uh, we've both got a rant coming our way we do i think we've got different maybe different rants i don't know different rants probably although i'm sure we can find some middle ground in each other's rants i have no doubt we're going to start off with the invisible man uh how much plot explanation do i need to give for the invisible man ben Uh, it's you can you can set it up in two lines i reckon yeah i mean basically it it is different to the the original invisible man uh the far superior original uh, invisible man uh, basically, we've got a woman who's on the run from a man here. Um, we don't quite know why. Uh, we just think he's very manipulative and just kind of perhaps abusive, maybe. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, anyway, she runs away uh, from him. Uh, they, she, then, she then moves in with a black cop. More on, more on that later. Uh, to kind of get her life back on track. And essentially, they find out that her ex-husband is was found dead. And therefore, she can apparently get on with her life, except she can't, because he then turns himself into the Invisible Man uh, via a suit of cameras. Or, um, or does he? Or does he? Uh, yes, essentially. And uh, because he, he, we should say that this, this Invisible Man is an expert in the field of optics. Yeah. Hence, what, hence why he's able to pull this off. He's got an underground, he's got like an underground scientific lab kind of thing in, in, in his Batman. beautiful. 
He's Batman, basically. It, yeah, in his in his beautiful house, and it's a very nice futuristic looking modern house yeah. with really big windows, massive windows. A lot. The, the a bedrooms, lot. the bedroom was looking out. It was like the bedroom was like an art gallery. Yeah, the my windows my, were my, enormous. My partner raised the issue of how much abuse would she go through in order to live in this freaking great house because um, it's an amazing house. It's Absolutely. an amazing house, but bloody hell, sometimes you'd want to block off the uh, sunlight in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're facing the sun in that room and it's kind I'm of sure. like oh god you know, i'm sure i'm sure they've got like uh photo sensitive glass sure oh, yeah. of course they will of course very futuristic house anyway enough prattling on about the other stuff <laughs> starting off with uh well is it a remake it, it isn't because a remake would obviously just be telling exactly the same story as yeah. the original in a, in a more modern way with modern techniques. This is a reimagining of the original Invisible Man. It's a very, very different experience to the 1933 classic starring the imperious Claude Rains. Oh, yeah. And you have to use the word imperious, Claude yeah. Rains. You can never say Claude Rains without saying the word imperious. Because, uh, I mean, oh, that film was a masterpiece for me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, not only is this a reimagining of the, of the film in terms of its kind of, you know, delivery and, it, and the fact that all the, you know, obviously different... Different crew and cast, obviously, but techniques and all the rest of it. It's been reimagined for the modern audience. And what I mean by the modern audience is the Me Too woke audience. Uh, (laughs) And I absolutely despise this movie. I mean, here we go. In this movie, you've got a white woman who's paying for a black child's education. Wow. Very, very nice there. And a black child being the copper that she's living with. Yeah. Who's got got a, a daughter. Uh, but not only is it a black cop, it's a black corrupt cop as well. Um, and it's just like, right, okay, you're just kind of doing all this kind of shit. That's great. Thank you very much. Um, I'm not I'm not comfortable with any of these little messages the film's going, going on. Uh, faux racism, racism, kind of white people, white people paying for black people. White uh, saviour. White saviour, white privilege, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, this is in the horror movie. Thank you. Um, but then again, that, and that's all the stuff that's kind of there in your face. Unfortunately, there isn't enough in your face for the actual horror side. Mm. Uh, for me, this film is full of chronic inconsistencies. Like, there's a moment, there's a, the, my favourite scene, if you was to choose a favourite scene, and I do not want to see this film ever, ever again, nor from the director, I should say, um, I quite like the stabbing in the restaurant. Yes, that was a surprise. That was, it was a surprise, that scene. It was a surprise scene. It was a well-put-together scene. You know, and I applaud them for for doing something shocking, which is what we are supposed to feel in these horror movies, really. You know, um, but why didn't the CCTV pick up a knife floating in the air randomly? I think, you know, whenever you're watching a horror movie, there's got to be some suspension of disbelief. You have to, you have to, five or six times, you have to just allow some, a few stupid things to go through. And that is definitely one of those things that you just... I would be happy to do were it not for the fact that when we then later on go to some sort of the police station, they then go to the CCTV in there. They do. do. (laughs) So it's like, this is what I'm saying. Chronic inconsistencies. Either have no CCTV or all CCTV. Let's have none of that, please. Uh, I don't want any of this kind of shit going on. Um, Oh, yeah. And then again, the self-defense spray that this woman's carrying around. Why would that... Affect yeah. somebody wearing a suit full of cameras, exactly? Because it wouldn't get through to his eyes. That didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> this is new information to me, Theo. I'm processing it now. No, you're quite right. That wouldn't it... have had any impact on him, I don't think. Unless it was a breathable suit, but even so... <laughs> it 
No, Ben, no. There is no defence of this, I'm afraid. It's uh, and the, and I agree completely. You have to suspect, suspend some things, but not when they're like this. I mean, I'm sorry. Do they really expect me to sit here like an idiot just accepting all of the shit all at once? I mean, look, yeah. here's the film. All films are about buying, whatever the genre. Uh, you know, the fact that I, in my history, in this genre, have completely bought in to a fictional witch in the woods. You know, yeah. I've also completely yeah. bought in to a mask-wearing, chainsaw-wielding lunatic. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've I've completely bought in to poltergeist in the home, in the bedroom, in the bed. Yeah. I've done all of this kind of stuff. Oh, um, I'm going to go watch that after this. That's... Well, but that, I mean, that's the... We'll get on to all that at the end, actually. Like, what we're actually going to watch over the period that this is supposed to kind of be about. Uh, it ain't going to be this, that's for sure, for anybody. I don't recommend it. Um, and basically, Ben, I'm just not very tolerant of a film that uh, kind of actively encourages women to stealthily kill men. Interesting. Interesting. Hot takes, Theo. <laughs> I, um, I don't know if it's the recent recent events which have happened in previous episodes of Ben, but... I'm I'm very sympathetic to all four films that we've got um, this this week, so I'm 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 going to say as nice things as I can about everything. Yep, <laughs> get ready for a change. So, as someone who has been through a um, been through both mentally and physically abusive relationships in the past, yeah, something that I think the Invisible Man does really well is it 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 creates this kind of palpable sensation of what it is to live post an abusive relationship where you carry that relationship with you even when that person has gone and you are by yourself um it it creates that sensation really well um in addition it's a film that asks you to look at empty spaces a lot and um some of the kind of better horror films over the last 20 years with especially ones which have come from america like paranormal activity for example yeah. a few others um have this kind of quietness to them where they ask uh, a, a freaking multiplex audience to sit and watch an empty room for a moment and to find some terror in that and i i always kind of applaud that rather than you know, the multiplex experience is supposed to be kind of like a roller coaster. And the the Invisible Man is like a, it's an Andre Bazin exercise in editing with your eyes at times, which I, I really appreciated that. I did think um, that after all this kind of like interesting world building stuff that it descended into what you would probably describe as a very standard formulaic Hollywood third act. Um, of running and shooting and jumping and things, which which you would expect after two acts of not that. It does have all these suspension of disbelief moments, which, um, yeah, the CCTV in the restaurant, um, my partner raised this issue, we watched it together, um, and, yeah, I was just like, we have to allow it, we have to allow it. This is the, my phone, my cell phone's getting no reception moment, or the, you know, the, it's fine, yeah. we, we've got to move past this. Um, I didn't hate this film. I had a lot of a lot of time for it. Something that I really, really liked about it as well is the casting of, of Elizabeth Moss as the central character. So you've got this rich guy. He's into optics. He's the richest man in the world. He can manipulate anybody he wants. And he wants Elizabeth Moss. He is absolutely obsessed with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss. They didn't cast Jessica Alba or Scarlett Johansson. Oh, or yes. Garner. This or, is true. Or anyone that you might expect, they cast her, which kind of raises this question of why is this guy so obsessed with her? And 
He's not obsessed with her because she's Jessica Alba, for example. Please, listeners, don't think I've got a thing about Jessica Alba. I really don't. Um, he's into manipulating her and making her do what he wants him to her to do, um, which which I thought this is some interesting casting. Elizabeth Moss is also a better actress than all of the other people that I just named. So I liked that. I also liked um that when you have an invisible man thing let's go back to hollow man everyone remember hollow man um in a contemporary context you get the invisible man thing and invariably there's some kind of element of titillation about the guy being able to go wherever he wants and to do whatever he wants and to watch whoever he wants and this film flipped it into um into an abusive situation and something that i started thinking about while i was watching this is how there are lots of um, people out there who who behave like our central evil invisible man. Is it Adrian? Is that his name? Um, so you've got people on social media who are on their like eighth or ninth burner account on social media so that they can go on and pour abuse on people like Jamila Jamil from afar without any... There's this, this, this kind of thing of like accountability and how unpleasant will you become if you're not accountable for your actions? I liked that about it too. Everything you said as well, 100% as well, but I, I also had some time for it. I didn't hate it as much as you. That's where, that's where I'll leave this. I think I, a lot of my hate stems from the fact that I love the original so much. Um, I mean, I mean James, James Whale, it's campy fun, it's Claude Rains. It's, it's terrifying as well. Like the, 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 scene, the scene where they drive off the cliff is absolutely terrifying in the 1933 film. And the special effects are really good and everything. They stand up. I, I showed that film to my kids when they were younger, and when I put it on, they were like, "Dad, are you serious? A black and white old old ass movie?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, no, no." And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. Um, it's a it's a really really strong thirties. Is it Universal? Yep. Yeah, it's a really strong film. Uh, James Whale films are just a lot of fun. They certainly are. Uh, a pure masterpiece for me, that really, a big, booming, imperious Claude Rains voice. I, mean, so, so, just, I, I really feel the urge to say some of the lines from that movie now, but no, I shall refuse, because <laughs> no. I can't deliver them with the same imperiousness of Claude Rains. But uh, right, I mean, look, I'd, I, I'm just choosing not to kind of see the positive side in this. I really, I mean, or, or the the problem as well is a lot of the stuff that you praise this film for, better films have done. Yeah. Like how about how about Halloween for the casting of a non-beauty in the lead? Oh, uh, yeah. uh, with respect, of course. <laughs> uh, that's that sounded harsh, but you know what I meant. I uh, and yeah. how about well, you mentioned Paranormal. Yeah, that that obviously did. Perfect example of what I'm talking about: casting someone who looks like a normal human being in your. Well, exactly, but that what that wipes the floor with whatever this was trying to achieve for me. Yeah. Like it really, really does. And then, again, invisible footprints. Yeah, been there, done that. Uh, but yeah. although, and actually, the problem is, for me, is I, I actually agree with what you're saying about like the silent, the silence, and the mm. kind of, um, kind of killing without killing physically yeah. it's and there's a lot there's like the financial thing that goes on here yes like he's a, a, yeah it's, it's a lot it's a lot more layered in terms of it he's able to he's able to essentially stay in her life financially yes uh, uh, st stopping that which is therefore affecting the payments that she was going to give to the black child that she lives with yeah and it's like yeah again all that it's a, it's a manip manipulative kind of stuff and the mental side as well 
she's still paranoid despite the fact that he's been proved dead. She has this funny feeling yeah. that he isn't yeah. uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it does do all that stuff. However, ultimately, if I don't come away from any horror film without being scared once, you've failed. Fair dues. And, and, and I always, always have to remember that. Though I mean... There are, mo- I mean, look, I, I, what, I've mentioned some classics that I love already, uh, including, yes, The Blair Witch, and yes, and Texas Chainsaw and stuff. And yeah. they might not scare me in the same way, but yeah. what they will always, always do is take me to a place where I feel a bit less, sorry, a bit more vulnerable. Yeah, Here, I was just, I was perfectly content watching this movie with the lights off, knowing where I am, felt fine. And it was just like, this is, interesting yeah not the film for me i was much more tense watching this throughout like even from the get-go from from where she um uh where she runs the film opens with her running away from her partner and in that scene i i was quite tense um and then that that tension kind of stayed with me i think so although like i wasn't terrified at any point throughout this film i i felt tense i felt this kind of like ball in my throat this kind of like uh, uncomfortable sensation i thought here's another reason invisible man is just another reason why you should never have a dog as well um yeah just uh yeah a a lot of kind of tension from the get-go so that i mean that probably left me feeling a little bit more positive towards it than you as well yeah well of course it it, it, of course if you can grab if you if you're in you're in it's very unusually that you, you kind of get yourself into a world and then you come out of it later yeah. Very, very. So once you're in, you're in. I was never able to get in, yeah. uh, for the reasons I've stated, and I again have no desire to. Uh, basically, I'm going to be so well. I, I don't know what I was expecting personally, anyway, because on even if it was a masterpiece, this it still wouldn't match the 1933 film. No. It just, it just, just no, no chance in hell it would. So this was always doomed to fail. This one. Um, whereas the next one we're going to move on to, oh, God. I had a hell of a lot more expectation for them what it delivered for me. Oh. But uh, I've I've said enough for now. I need a break, okay. so uh, I'll, I'll let you rant about Lighthouse. You put your feet up for a bit. <laughs> I've kind of made a deal with myself in talking about the uh, Robert Eggers movie, The Lighthouse. My deal is I'm not allowed to swear, so <laughs> I'm going to get through that. There will be no bad language. I will be respectful at all points. So The Lighthouse is the second film from Robert Eggers. It's the film about uh, two lighthouse keepers, uh, a junior and a senior, who are swapping shifts with uh, another two lighthouse keepers, taking over a lighthouse for a period of time. I can't quite remember how long it is. Uh, Let's say it's three months. It's some time. (laughs) Um, And then they have to maintain the lighthouse um one of them willem dafoe is the more senior guy and it's his responsibility to look after the big bulb in the lighthouse the other one played by robert pattinson who is i think acting in this film uh, oh, i don't think robert pattinson is capable of such a thing I'm, to be brutally honest with you I'll, I'll move on to robert pattinson but <laughs> he is the junior and he's responsible for the kind of the more dreary side of things such as <laughs> and so on no in order for me to talk about my feelings about The Lighthouse, I have to take you back in time to the release of... That Rob- is my film of the week. <laughs> Robert Eggers' first movie, The Witch. Or, more specifically, me reading a review of The Witch. Or, more specifically, me also reading a review of the Brady Corbett film, Childhood of a Leader, which came out at the same time as The Witch. 
So in the review for Childhood of a Leader, which is a movie I love, this magazine uh, paid attention to the fact that Childhood of a Leader is nothing more than an homage to early European art house cinema because of its dusty corridors with maps on the walls and its rotary telephones ringing in big empty rooms. And I thought, that's a funny thing to kind of lay into a film for. Props, which are germane to the time and the story of the film, and to say that that's an homage to something else. I can see where this is going. <laughs> I can't laugh. Don't make me laugh. Whereas The Witch, which yeah. is a film I enjoyed. I did. Is an enormous Kubrick Bergman rip. Yeah. Um, it's not just an homage to Kubrick and Bergman films. It is a rip of Kubrick and Bergman films. So cut to... Uh, early 2020, when Ben first saw The Lighthouse in a big cinema um, before this frickin' lockdown thing happened. And I was witness to... Then, there are probably three layers for me to talk about The Lighthouse. There's first of all, how it's made. Secondly, uh, the story. And third, the subtext. So let's talk about these three things. Sorry, I laughed at the story then. <laughs> you did well, sir. You did well to hold it together there. So how is it made? Well... We've got Kubrick and Bergman again, um, and the ripping has got worse. It's got, it's got to the level of where we are actually just recreating shots from <laughs> specific Kubrick and Bergman films. But also, we're throwing in a dash of Andrei Zalowski with his possession in here. So we've got kind of Bergman's Faroe Island films. There's about like, I think there's like five of them, but the one in particular here is Wagtiemann or uh, The Hour of the Wolf. Um, we've got The Shining, um, and we've got Zalowski's possession and what Robert Eggers is doing here is he's 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 turning himself into the the kind of the Edgar Wright of filmmaking he's making a mixtape um he's just selecting bits that he likes from other films and splicing them all together like what Tarantino does he's taking cinema nowhere new he's going nowhere he's walking in a circle he's telling us He's your friend in the pub who speaks in 70% film quotes and never reveals anything more. So that's how it's made. Um, one thing that I will say positively about this film is the lenses. It uses lenses uh, from the 1930s. And you're a big Fritz Lang fan. I'm a big F.W. Murnau fan. We both like these old lenses. I wish more filmmakers would make that choice. That is the only positive thing I'm going to say about the light. <laughs> Secondly, we move on to the story. So we've got these two guys. They're in the lighthouse. Um, they're looking after things. Uh, everything is kind of telescoped, or it was really telescoped for me. So when they turn up at this lighthouse, there's a scene early on where Robert Pattinson says, um, I, d I don't drink alcohol. And then I was just immediately thinking oh god can we just please fast forward to the scene where he's gonna have a session at some point <laughs> there's a bit where willem dafoe goes are seagulls you're never harm a seagull and i'm oh god can we please fast forward to the bit where a seagull gets harmed and zooming in on a crick in the neck of the seagull yeah everything that happens in this film is telescoped there are no surprises along the way in addition you've got these two characters about whom you learn nothing along the way um what you do learn about them may in fact not be true at all. Um, so they don't change, they don't develop, you don't learn anything about them. 
Um, you've also got these songs which are introduced, and a lot of noise is made about the fact that these are original sea shanty songs from the blah, blah, blah years. Oh, cool. So what do they add to the film? Oh, nothing. I see. So we're just doing some research, finding some old songs, inserting them. They have no reference to the plot or the subtext or what this film is. So, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then we come on to the subtext of the movie. What is this movie about? It's two guys in one place tearing each other apart. And it kind of felt to me like Robert Eggers was saying, have you ever noticed how toxic relationships involve people um, putting value on what the other person has and disvaluing what they have? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I have noticed that actually. Yeah. What else have you got, Bob? Bob? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Um, because this film has nothing apart from a subtext of what a toxic relationship is like. There is nothing more to that. Um, I really, really hate this movie. Like, we're, like uh, I have a visceral, physical response to it. I really think it's awful. This is the most egregious film I've seen since David Fincher's 1999 movie Fight Club which I think is partly responsible for the downfall of society and the hellish place we live now. Um, I hate The Lighthouse. I want to burn it. Theo, <laughs> what did you think of this movie? I agree. But actually, to the point where you were able to reach a lot, this, this film took you to some places where you could actually formulate some proper opinions. Mm-hmm. For me, I couldn't get past the mumbling. Mm. Now, what what did I say when you made me watch that bloody American film last time out? Mumbling into microphones, particularly early on in the film, doesn't do it for me. This entire film is mumbling into the microphone. William Defoe, sorry, not William, William Defoe. I mean, who cares actually at this point? Uh, William Defoe mumbles into the microphone. Robert Pattinson, I think, is acting in this movie. I think he's acting. I'm not 100 percent sure. I believe some kind of accent is going on i mean if robert pattinson is acting in this movie then i think me and you are now acting on the podcast it could be the case i mean i will come out i'm gonna reveal myself as a a small fan of robert pattinson in some movies i have never seen apparently he made some kind of like movies about vampires or something i've, I've never seen those movies i think i read about i think i read about those on wikipedia at some point yeah some kind of film about like some kind of i don't know like a like a boy witch in a school or something i've never seen those movies i have seen the cronenberg films that he was in and i thought he was i in them I also saw <laughs> Childhood of a Leader by Brady Corbett, which also features Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I in that as well. I don't hate Robert Pattinson, but he is really horrible in this film. And apparently, I, I did, I've done some reading around this film. Apparently, him and Willem Dafoe had a, an awful relationship together while making this movie. And um, I think that might be visible. <laughs> <laughs> what right. watch movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it's up to the, it's up to the director to ensure a positive working relationship on these sets, isn't oh. it? And we've heard all the stories when it doesn't go like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Fritz Lang pushing people down the stairs, for example, <laughs> into a flood. Well, yes, Von Trier, anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but hey, I couldn't get past the mumbling. Uh, so I nearly put the subtitles on, but I thought, no, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna justify this film's existence by putting the subtitles on. I refuse to do it. Uh, then I couldn't get past the black and white, Ben. Ah, that's an interesting one. 
As I've always said, in 99.8% of all films post-1930 should yeah. not be black and white. Uh, and, the bl- or, and if you do it, they don't actually add anything. Like, because it's yeah. a lighthouse, Ben. Yeah. It's dark enough. Yeah. You could have had a colour film and it still generate the feeling of what this film, I think, was trying to achieve. Maybe the fact that this film has two people in means it just needs light and dark. But then, mm. but then there is no light and dark from either of these people, so mm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what I do know is that it just it just did nothing for me. It didn't generate any atmosphere for me at all. Not at all. No. And the reason I've... is, and I pinned it down: is it the acting? Is it the pointlessness of the black and white? Is it what all the stuff that you mentioned about it basically just ripping off actual good cinema from from years past? For me, it's a very very noisy film. Mm. And that is not a thing that I was expecting when I was expecting to tune into this because I really, really liked The Witch. Yeah. The reason I, I really, it. really liked The Witch was because of how quiet it was. It was all about the quietness of society in centuries-old England. Yeah. The rather peculiar way of speaking, which I really, really gravitated towards yeah. uh, during that movie. Just the silence that happens other than when the supposed witch is having the seizures. Yeah. Uh, that's, and then, then it gets very loud, and it's all you can hear. All, everything else that happens outside of that is, is muted for the fact of this screaming, this retching, and this kind of what we think is a witch, but is obviously, as the film tells you, is not. No, the but, isn't, isn't evoking a sense of the 1890s for you. It's, it's... it's evoking a modern lighthouse for me, <laughs> which is just very, very noisy because they are. And that went into the mumbling as well. Like I couldn't hear the mumbling properly because of how noisy it was. Like You've got to have a balance of this stuff. There were no moments of quiet in this movie, or at least not any that I could remember. And I just thought, no, 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 you're missing all of the points for me here. It, you, you're too noisy. You're trying to be dramatic at the wrong places. Yeah. And in fact, it went very, very Hanukkah-y at some points. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In terms of ripping so many people off, it's difficult to pin down at times. Uh, it, it went extreme quiet for like a few seconds, and then wham! In came the violins, or wham! In came a 1940s kind of whatever kind of there's orchestral. Kind. There's that kind of right noise throughout yeah. the film as well. But it's kind of like, yeah, you, you know, I was constantly distracted by things that I should not have been distracted about. At no point did I actually invest in either of these odd people with their rather odd performances. No. Uh, I, I think, I think I William, Defoe, William Defoe gets away with a lot less because yeah. he, he's got the face to mumble and to grouch and just he's, to be kind of like stumbly. And he, because it's William Defoe, we'll let him off. Well, he's the winner in this film. He is, yeah. but it, 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 it's like a bronze medal as opposed to a wooden spoon a- for me. Absolutely. Uh, I, I certainly don't want to give any credit to him more than I would do if he was actually doing well in a movie. I don't think he particularly does well here. Um, so what else can I say? It was it, it was, it was, a disaster for me as well. Uh, yeah. And yet it's universally loved. I, this, this blows me away. I, I, I've spoken to a lot of people who like this film. The, the first thing they, they talk about is, oh, I love, I love the look of this film. Yeah, well, it, that's it. I knew you were going to say that. It, like, but, honestly, if you spend all of your time watching modern films, then yeah. if a modern film has black and white in it, you will automatically put it on a pedestal. But, but I, I, this is something I, I just I can't get past, because like, the film is a visual medium. medium. 13 going on 30 looks good. 
oh, like yeah. pretty much every film looks good oh, yeah that's the lowest bar here i want to know what else people love about this film and i, I i'm not getting any i don't i i, I, genu- I genuinely would want any listener of ours yes that likes the lighthouse to actually go and find themselves a new podcast to listen to uh, I mean, you won't. You See, won't find. You won't find a better one than us for world cinema. But there are plenty of out, other ones out there where you can go and listen to people talk about how amazing the lighthouse is because of yeah. how it looks and how it sounds. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but if if you've been watching classics and if you've been watching any sort of cinema from yeah. any decade, you will find a thousand films better than the lighthouse I'm, per I'm, decade. This is an emperor's new clothes sitch for me. I'm just not seeing what people are seeing. Um, I mean, perhaps if, if you enjoy watching Robert Pattinson masturbate, then perhaps, yes, this is a movie for you because you get a lot of that. Well, but surely you'd want that in colour, not in black and white. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so it's, I mean, look, here's the thing. It's, I am glad we have now developed into an ivory tower podcast. <laughs> I'm fine with that because given the ivory tower over an ivory lighthouse any day, uh, I'm sorry, this film is well and truly beneath me and people who like this film, who, who can defend a film like this, that offers nothing original or even offers anything unoriginal that's entertaining, get lost. Nice. Cut ahead. Is, I think, my film of the week. Um, I'm going to agree with that and I'm going to underline think. Yes, uh, uh, yes. Uh, and I will do the same. Re or is it Rhea? Uh, let's say re. I'm not re. sure. I think it's re. It's R I E, and I think that's re in their language. But I think for us that might. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, actually, doesn't really matter. Female vessel. Female vessel. Another horror yeah. film. Female vessel. Yeah. Rhea is a PR journalist kind of person who ends up going underneath the Copenhagen metro to report on the stories of the people who work there. Uh, things turn sour. <laughs> However, after a fire breaks out, um, and I just wonder whether that's something to do with the coffee. Uh, you know, well, we should shut the coffee down that pipe. Yeah. I just how 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 hot could that have been? But could, but because it was quite thick, the coffee. Wait, was uh, that or was that some kind of alcoholic drink? Well, she said it was. They said it was. It, the 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 European worker she was with said it was coffee, and it looked like extremely dark, thick coffee. Interesting. Maybe she's the, the the agent of her own downfall. That, so that... I I just wonder whether that clogged the pipes up somewhere because she does chuck a coffee down this thing and it's like and then and then anyway maybe maybe right. Uh, so yeah, the fire breaks out and it essentially leaves Rhea and two of her workers fighting for survival in shall we say claustrophobic conditions. Because uh, we are underground after all, and it is the metro. And hey, the up the upward side of the metro, the real life bit of the metro is claustrophobic. So you can imagine what it's like underground. Yeah. Uh, this is the first feature film from the 34 year old director called Rasmus Klosterbrug, and I think he's got a reasonable future in the industry after this one. Ben, um, Cut Ahead isn't the most original thing I've ever seen, mm-hmm. uh, nor is it great art necessarily, but it's a good solid 90 minutes of entertainment for me, Ben. Yeah, uh, and to be frank, that will do. It's a, it's a, it's an absolute seven out of ten. This for me, um, yeah. it starts off with pastries and photos, and then it moves on to pressure and panic. That'll do, uh, and it transitions between those things reasonably well. The perform- the performances are fine. Um, I mean, look, here's the thing: it's easy to act claustrophobic when you are in an enclosed space, but especially when you're in an enclosed space with a director and a sound guy and maybe a photography guy as well. 
Yeah. So yeah, you've got six. The film shows you three people, but the reality is there's probably about six or seven in there. So again, I'll, I'll give them credit for doing for doing their jobs, but I don't think they were particularly outstanding, and nor were they put in difficult situations to have to reach too far to act in this. So you know, well done for doing your jobs on that. Uh, I was sort of disappointed to see a somewhat predictable romance thing happen, but thankfully it doesn't quite work out that way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, twist in there. Uh, but what I really want to focus on with this film uh, predominantly is Rasmus Klosterbro, uh, because for me, he's able to put a film together that actually makes me want to watch his next one. He's shown me enough in this movie that makes me think, OK, well, we'll, we'll check out your next one. Uh, certainly not like the Invisible Man person who did that. Uh, this, this, oh, I want to see another Rasmus Klosterbro film. Um, it's, you know, there, there are some beautifully shot film. It's a beautiful shot film in general, I would say. But yeah. there are some shots that are absolutely outstanding and rise above all the others. Uh, the lighting is exceptional in this film. Yep. And again, yes, you're underground and flicker. it's not just flickering lights. There's actually able to do other things with it as well. Um, and I know you're going to talk about the lighting because you're a lighting fan. Uh, I so might we'll... skip it for a change. You never know. Oh, you never know. But uh, I suspect you won't be able to resist talking about lighting. But... Uh, so, yes, there's, well, there's a, a scene that I will like to talk about later after you've had a go that I really, really adored. It's probably my scene of the week, which I guess would explain why it is my film of the week, ultimately. But, uh, yeah, not much else to say, Ben. As I say, a good solid 7 out of 10. It's in English, so it's inoffensive to people. No subtitles required. Um, so, yeah, 7 out of 10 recommended, I think. Yeah, t- totally agree on all this. This this is a really well-made film of uh, limited means, of uh, not having much at your disposal. Um, it does a lot with that. Um, also, I, I guess, as someone who grew, grew up in London, um, using the underground since before I can even remember, um, I, I love underground tunnels, trains. Um, I grew up in Paddington, which is where cutterheads are working at the moment on some kind of thing so um these are all scenarios that i just really enjoyed being in from like the 75th second into the (laughs) i was very very comfortable yeah uh really really liked everyone in the film as well i'm going to do a particular shout out to kresmir mikic um, who plays Evo, who is the the older, more experienced um, worker who is in the Cutterhead with Ree and the um, the other guy. I really liked him. Um, he was like a beacon of light for me in this film. I just, I, he had a, a really great presence. Um, I, I went and looked him up, uh, found out that he is actually the the voice of Woody in the Toy Story movies um in in i believe it's croatia ah the dubbed right okay i was yeah. gonna say he is not the voice because <laughs> i was like i was reading his credits on imdb i'm like no bro you are not woody in toy story and i was like oh right i see okay uh, <laughs> he was really the kind of linchpin although like um when i was watching this film i was very much reminded of i may have spoken about this before carol j clover's kind of seminal book on horror movies men women and chainsaws because this movie follows the men, women and chainsaws formula to the letter. Um, You've got your final girl syndrome. You've also got something called the bad place. So as horror films escalate, they move you towards the bad place, which is where the the third act, the final bit happens. And with Rhea, we've got a, we've got this final girl. We've got the bad place worked out beautifully. Um, But the the shining light in this film for me was, was Evo was because he was like some kind, he was hope. 
throughout this horrendous experience he was the guy who who kind of offered something some some, some kind of positivity because without that i think this film might have become a bit grim um or a bit unpleasant i do think that there this film hit a bit of a third act wall for me um that's what i'll say there, there was a everything was progressing really really well without progressing at all without moving in space whatsoever and then you get this third act bit where everything kind of just hit a wall for me no pun intended lols um however the final shot of this film absolutely no spoilers whatsoever is the perfect final shot for this film i completely agree i i, I was thinking like there there are different ways you can end this film you can end it on an up or you can end it on a down you can end it with this image or this image and i couldn't decide what's the best way of ending this film the way the way that they chose to end this film is perfect um absolutely beautiful and that and kind not of, too not too many times this year have we actually said that no absolutely not um i also one, one other thing i don't know if you read about this but um this film was method edited did you read about this uh no i, I actually tend to always stay away from reading okay. all the other extra stuff um okay. until, until until i've watched the film and then i even wait after the review is done and then i'll go back and say oh so here's a, here's so. a fun thing about how this film is edited this film was edited in a small overheated dark cramp editing room so it was edited under the conditions of which the characters are going through the movie, which is beautiful. Um, there's also, in when you're making a horror film and you keep it all in one place all the way through, how can you introduce change when you're staying in the same place all the time? And this film finds a beautiful solution to that problem, which is lighting. The light, <laughs> as if I don't know you by now. Ben. <laughs> I don't laugh. I can't laugh. It's medically advised not to laugh. The lighting in this film is what takes you from one place to another. Um, you're in the same place. They simply change the lighting at various points, and they there there are even points in this film where they remove all lighting completely leaving you with a pitch black screen and there are people listening out there going yeah i know i've seen horror movies before i know about this not quite like this actually um a complete absence to which i think i think there there is perhaps even an absence of any footage in those sequences um there is nothing it is right you're right there yeah um and i haven't seen that done for a while yeah seven out of ten not that original very good with um the uh, the economic means of this film I liked everyone in it. I loved Evo, Kresmir Mikic. Um, you're you're a badass if you're listening to this. Yeah, that's that that was my response to Cutterhead. I mean, yeah, the, the the way the ending is so perfect is because it relates to the the romance thing, yeah. uh, and it and it does that fantastically well. But my and and that would be my second favorite scene of the week, the final scene. My favorite scene of the week. Um, shall we describe it as? struggling for breathing equipment oh god that shall we uh let's go wrestling that, wrestling I, breathing equipment I had, call watch, it that? I had to watch that bit standing up i couldn't sit down that was the only time this entire week that i wanted to get up and, and leave the room because i felt scared like that was utterly terrifying for me awful. Awful. that was absolutely therefore fantastic <laughs> like it was just how has he done this like yeah. He's, I'm sure he's cheated a lot. I mean, you, you're the filmmaker. You tell me. He almost made that scene as if there were two 
like model kind of people. Yeah. Like model kind of toys wrestling with each other. And then the battery would wind down. Yeah. Like the way that the flickering light, the strobe lighting almost created the effect that they weren't real. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like, um, it's like one of those, it was like he shot it on one of those trays that, you know, you put cakes on to rotate really, really slowly round. Yes. So you can see that the cake just glisten in its glory all the way. Like, he almost filmed it like that. And I thought, how yeah. the hell yeah, has Rasmus Costa-Bro put that together? Because I've never seen that before like that. It's almost like a, like a, like a diome kind of snow yeah. glow kind of really strange. It does stand out. It's, it's like an art installation piece in a film, which is a handheld Danish uh movie and then suddenly there's this this odd sequence yeah yeah i i yeah you're right it's all coming back to me now i, I, want... about, I, I need to see that again just because yeah. it, it is it's up there for me as one of the scenes of the year for me like um it was so it, unpleasant though it was just it, oh, it was, oh it's not enjoyable but but by the end of it the adrenaline comes down from yourself and you think oh yeah. that was a hell of a thing uh, and that's what horror films are supposed to do to us um, and it's really the well, actually, say it's the only time. I think in the next film we'll talk about there was maybe something that happened there too. But um, for me, superior scene, this, and uh, superior film out of all of them for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I basically, I'm not necessarily after a masterpiece from any director, who, who particularly one who's making his, his full-length debut because he only did shorts after this. I just want to see potential. And for me, there's enough here that he can put a film together. He can, he can get a casting crew together to make a film that works. And the fact is Scandinavian helps because that obviously gravitates him towards me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, future's bright for him, I think. We'll see what he does next. It'd be interesting whether he wants to become a genre guy or because obviously Denmark doesn't do a lot of horror stuff. They don't. I would be surprised if he came back with horror. I think this is this is just a, a you know. Foot in the door. Foot in the door. It's nice and easy. Your, your first movie, it's nice and easy to take 10 people to somewhere and then chop them up. I mean, I, I'm 33. He's 34. He's, he's ahead of life. <laughs> although having said that i'm felicitating a con- uh, facilitating i should say a conversation about this movie so hmm, maybe we're equal i don't know anyway cut ahead good uh yeah. the antenna yes our final film of the turkish week film. it's a turkish movie um from from i'm um, please forgive me for this pronunciation um orkan Beram is the writer director of this film it is uh, a film set in a tower block largely uh where we follow our main character mehmet who is the kind of the the supervisor for the building or the, yeah. the caretaker of the building, of the building. dressed um like he's not the caretaker of a building and we are in a kind of 1980s dystopian future past at the same time in Turkey. Um, <laughs> film taking place almost entirely within a tower block where an antenna has been put on the roof because midnight broadcasts are about to start from our suspicious government in charge about whom we know very little. Um, and this is a very interesting film. Um, it's got more at its disposal than Cut Ahead, and yeah. yet, unfortunately, does less with that. Absolutely. Uh, however, there is there there's a lot of positivity about this film, which I'm going to focus on because I'm just focusing on positivity at the moment. So. It started off um, with Mehmet's Walk to Work. And I just want to talk about Mehmet's Walk to Work for a second. <laughs> yes. For a second. Because they do this thing which 
is so well done and I've never seen done before. Mehmet walks through a series of tower blocks, all the tower blocks dwarfing him. He's the tiny guy amongst them. And then there's another shot of him walking along a path with the tower blocks obviously in the distance. But because of the kind of foreshortening effect of it, it feels like Mehmet is now a giant and That's is right. now walking by. It's, it's so well done. I was just like, good God, how you've, you've, you've no special effects whatsoever. You've managed to turn this guy from a dwarf into a giant in seconds. It has nothing to do with the film, listeners. Don't worry about that. <laughs> we'll get on to the movie. And but also, I, it was not, it was not you see feet being filmed, really. Uh, the only person that does that normally is Quentin Tarantino. So yeah, actually, to see some shooed feet just walking, that's quite a dramatic thing you have in a film there, really. Absolutely. Um, after that, so we've got this, Mehmet is in charge of this building, Antenna's been... Um, installed into the roof and immediately we have some kind of malevolence going on around the idea of the antenna and yep. the broadcast which is to come um this malevolence which is never really kind of spoken about is then also kind of made physical um it's made palpable so this, this malevolence becomes an actual thing so the idea of some kind of like unknown evil which becomes like an actual physical substance which can then infect people in both a kind of a biological and a technological way. And that might sound highfalutin, um, but it all makes sense when you're watching it. It's, bla- it's basically this antenna is creating goop, which yeah. is infecting people and causing them to behave differently, which is presumably some kind of like metaphor synonym for government state control and group thoughts and that kind of thing. Um, it, it, it plays all that stuff re- really well. Also, as a human being who lived through the 1980s, I would just like to mention that this film uh, evokes very, very <laughs> feelings of the 1980s. I don't know if that's intentional or not. I think all bad plumbing, bad plumbing, but also just <laughs> growing up as a kid. Like the number of my kids, the number of my kids, the number of my friends who lived on estates like the one in this movie. So I spent a lot of time kind of wandering around these buildings, going up in the lift shafts and blah blah. blah. And um, but also this film evokes the feeling of art house movies from the 1980s. Yeah. As well. yeah. um, our lead character is dressed like a like a Jim Jarmusch character, like some yes. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, everything in it is very, very, very reminiscent of 1980s art house cinema. Not only that they live in this kind of 1980s world of analog broadcasts and you know old technology but the film itself really really reminded me of old movies and in particular and I, I should have done a bit more research here there's a um an old european art house short which i think is called like the printer or the photocopier which is about a man who works in a print uh, photocopy place and it just goes through his daily routine and uh, fun fact that movie is actually made on each frame of the movie is made on a photocopied piece of paper so what what you're looking at is a kind of a, like a monumental flip book and the antenna took me right back to that movie it took me back to a to a to living in the 1980s and watching art house movies in the 1980s um essentially what happens is this this physical manifestation of evil which had a kind of cronenbergy feel to it for me as well um starts making the situation worse and worse and worse things get real real damn bad and then unfortunately we fall into 
what I think is probably the same problem for every film in this October run, which is a kind of a kind of a messy, noisy third act, which yeah. is a little bit imprecise and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, I did not hate the antenna at all. Um, uh, and there's a lot of pos- positive things to be said about it. It just like cut ahead edged it out for me. I am remarkably in agreement with a lot, if not all of what you've just said. Um, man alive, do you get the full spectrum in this film? Yeah. You get some good acting, but you get some bad acting. You get you get some good direction, but you get some bad direction. Some good and bad editing, some good and bad writing. Yeah, you get the idea. It 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 it, it does flitter. Um, this film, on the one hand, is the Turkish version of The Grudge. Yeah. <laughs> there is no problem with that, except it isn't just that. Nor is it just the Erdogan dystopian surveillance paranoia thing. Nope. It's not just that either. It's both. And for me, the problem is it can't quite decide what it wants to be for about two thirds of this movie. Yes. Then it comes the third act when it attempts to kind of put them together and it just doesn't quite do it for me. It yeah. just doesn't quite work. There are essentially, Ben, two objects in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Blackwater and a satellite dish. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that drive this film all the way through. Now, the Blackwater stuff, I really quite liked, actually. Um, mm. Coming out of the walls, dropping onto people's food and stuff yeah. that happens. Like, I really, really quite like that stuff. Yeah. As I said, the Turkish version of the grudge, you know, the malevolence that you've mentioned in an apartment block that takes the form of non-existent plumbing. You know, that's entertaining for me. Yeah. The satellite... However, a promise of midnight broadcast to be transmitted into everyone's home, greater intrusive media control from the powers that be, blah, blah, blah. The Erdogan stuff, fine, reasonably enjoyable. That's okay. Uh, I I kind of like the just being transfixed by the TV. We've seen that in horror films many times before, but they've just been drawn into it. Like They just can't get their eyes off the midnight broadcast. Stuff like that. Didn't mind any of that stuff. But when they attempted to put the black water and the satellite together... Uh, uh, and it does it at the beginning it says right this has caused this and you go okay fine then it separates out into being the black water thing then mm-hmm. it moves on to the satellite thing and then at the end it attempts to come back to the beginning and justify the whole thing problem for me yeah i mean yeah it's it the, the, there's a lot there's a lot going on basically um this is an ambitious two films in one and I, I, I genuinely wonder whether the, the, he felt safest to do it like that, because if he wanted to do a pure Erdogan piece, they would never have released it. Yeah, it's true. So maybe maybe the Blackwater serves that purpose as like, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. It's a horror film. Don't worry. It's fine. Uh, yeah, let us, let us, uh, give, us a, give us a 12A, please, or whatever Turks do along, along those lines. Uh, mm. I think I, I had two big problems with this film. One of them is that the, um, the film builds up the midnight broadcast for from the get-go yes very first conversation scene is about the midnight broadcast of all the days to be late Mehmet (laughs) and okay so this midnight broadcast is coming eh well this well I'm I'm in this sounds fascinating and then when the midnight broadcast turns up not only is it not particularly fascinating it's not (laughs) it also doesn't flick much of a switch in this film because that switch has already been flicked um, things are already in progress, so the midnight broadcast doesn't really speed things up much. It doesn't take us to the bad place, essentially. Um, the other problem that I had with this film was that I just simply didn't care about any 
body in it. Um, none of the people were people that I cared about. Our hero, Mehmet, is is a classic kind of Jim Jarmusch character. He just stands around being thin, wearing a suit. Perfect Jarmusch character. But I didn't really care about anyone. The only person I kind of really cared about was um, the young lady. I think her name's Yasmin. Um, but I think I only really cared about her because she was a young lady and she was in peril. Um, I didn't really get to know anybody. I didn't know what anyone wanted. Um, I mean, because everyone lives in this kind of like this this weird dystopian society, maybe they have no wants anymore. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I just didn't, because I wasn't, because I didn't care about anybody, I didn't really mind what happened to them. That uh, massive problem as always, as always, it's about buy-in, therefore. Um, can I talk about my second favourite, or joint second favourite scene of the week? It better be the same as mine, go for it. So go if we, Well, I mean, we never get these right, do we? We never get these right when we yeah. do this before, but uh, we'll, we'll see. So obviously, to repeat, number one is from Cutterhead with the cake tray swirling yep. fight for uh, survival. The joint and the second is the ending to that. The joint second uh, favorite scene is the mask wearing stuff in the oh, bath. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> favorite moment from this whole goddamn movie. I loved it. That whole like six minutes, freaking loved every second of that it. That was the high. If in fact, in many ways, this is probably my actual highlight of the entire episode. It's yeah. just that I have to kind of bear in mind how. It reached higher places and cut ahead, but it did not stay as consistent and it did not stay as, as coherent. That's so that, but believe me, the bath and the mask scene, oh my days! The the stuff about the the the, the serum injecting into the face, like the health and beauty Turkish women, blah 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 blah. Oh, right, interesting point, fine. And uh, doing it via the TV thing, which was also fine. Yeah, felt like it was felt it like it was a different movie altogether, but yeah, it's fine. Uh, it was enjoyable. Oh, the mask. That's yeah. just going to an actual horror film we have on our hands here now. Yeah, see, I, I loved the TV bit as well, and the, yeah. the jet the serum into your face. That whole, that whole sequence was the moment. It was good. Yeah, yeah, because, it, it, again, yeah, um, it felt slightly out of kilter with everything else, but that in itself could be a good thing. So that's uh, that was, yeah, I'm not criticising that at all. Uh, yeah. yeah, you call it six minutes. Yeah, uh, I wish it went on for, like, 60. It was basically a stunningly well-put-together couple of shots yeah uh, I, i'm including all the tv stuff before because i love that whole sequence as soon as she started running the bath and then left the room i was in yep yeah, okay fine yeah that's it, it, it goes on for longer um yeah. yeah that's right uh great stuff more of that please mm -hmm. and unfortunately no there isn't it it, 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 it but it is, it is a beautiful beautiful moment and i thought wow okay um and, and actually he made me realize that Probably that was the only pure classic horror mo movie moment we've actually had in the entire week. Yeah, you're not wrong. And that's yeah. despite us having two English language pieces, well, three English language pieces, one of them being Danish. Uh, e even the Danish one didn't was almost too scared just to have some actual classic horror tropes in there. Yeah. I mean, it had some, but they the just kind of fell a bit flat and a bit oh. Yeah. Um, I mean, going back, sorry, going back to Cuthead very briefly, the yeah. decompression stuff was awesome. Yes. Yeah, really. That, that The decompression scene uses an audio sequence, which I have used myself in my own filmmaking yeah. thing, of um, using particular frequencies, which um, make you uncomfortable. Um, it's it's a really good trick. Um, it's a really good way of making making an audience feel uncomfortable when watching a scene, but also 
when you stop using that um, frequency, you create relief in the audience. And it, yeah. that little, it's a, it's a very simple little trick. Not enough people use it. It's used really well in Cutterhead. Uh, and here, the, the equivalent of that in here is the mask stuff and, and, and the bath scene in general. And you just kind of think, uh, what, how are people now going to make a horror film that has all the tropes that I think we are looking for and enjoy yeah. and yet could do it in an original way that actually frightens us? I mean, because I wasn't frightened by the bath or the mask, but no. bloody hell, I was intrigued and I was desperate to see more. And I was really on board and in this world for a very brief spell. Yeah. I thought that's the challenge, right? That's the challenge because it's the easiest thing to do now is to say, no, no, all those tropes have all been done a million times. I do not believe in them anymore, or yeah. I've got nothing original to say with them anymore. Yeah. That and that seems to be the view. Whereas actually, I'm not entirely sure that might be the way forward. It's 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 an ongoing conversation I have about horror movies. Like our our images of you know old antique dolls and weird old objects are, are and and um, uh, furnishings made of bones are, are these played out? Where where do you go with horror in the future? I don't have the answer to this. If if I did, I'd be working for Bloomhouse um, or someone else. But, but it, I mean, that, that's a very good point because I think they're asking themselves that question because when you yeah. when you see the stuff that Bloomhouse are putting out, they're not doing a fantastic job. There are moments in these movies. Yeah, it's hit and miss with Bloomhouse. Very, sure. very much hit and miss. Yeah. So all that considered, what where are you going to go? Where is your Halloween delights this year? So, I mean, I actually realized something quite quite appalling of myself really um i've got a lot of the classics with me you know i've got your texas chainsaw and i've got your night of the living dead dawn of the dead etc mm -hmm. the stuff that, that has got the horror aspect but it's got all of that beautiful stuff in there about racism and about societal capitalism and just you know uh, and just wonderful wonderful stuff like that i haven't seen the japanese ring for a hell of a long time Ooh. And, I've, and I, I, I can't remember what I was watching, but I, I saw something when it showed up, it showed up some sporadic clips from the Japanese ring. Mm. And I forgot how influential that movie was. And I forgot how much of a borderline masterpiece it is. Yeah. Um, we, we, give, we give Hanukkah rightly credit for his commentary on porn and VHS and home video. Yeah. The ring did it first. Yeah, it did. Uh, and, and the ring did it in a horror movie. And now there, there is no television or kind of vhse kind of stuff no. and without the ring and i know obviously poltergeist happened and the kids staring at the tv and stuff but the ring took it to a a, a, a terrifying level where it's... you had people not watching tv as much because they were scared of their tv yeah. it's difficult for people now to understand the impact that the ring had the ring and, is... I, 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 and, and and to be frank i have forgotten the impact of it because yeah. i haven't seen it for at least 10 years so i think next week i think it's going to be watching the ring again i actually on on ringu the first time i watched yeah. that i watched that with um a, a girl who i don't particularly know very well i don't know her anymore at all does she, ha does she have long hair she doesn't have long hair. Oh, she, well, she did have long hair. Oh, she did have long hair. Oh, God. Oh, I'm glad you chucked her out there. We can't, we can't be having that after watching Ring. There was no romantic. <laughs> she was a friend of a friend's, and we just thought, let's, let's, let's watch Ring together. She begged me to stop that movie. Um, she was genuinely scared for her safety in the presence of that film. Um, and that, I found that response fascinating. I also did not press stop on the video. 
Um, I, let, I, 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 that, that's, sackable, she, that's a sackable offence, should huh? you have done it. But you huh? may have stayed in a relationship if you did. Her response <laughs> was astonishing to that. So I'm, I'm going for, I think I'm going to go for an old favourite this year. Um, I, I, I bought it a couple of, well, probably about two months ago now. It is the 1977 Philip Kaufman version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I now have on. Uh, I've never got on with it. You see, I... Oh, it's, 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 that, it's that American dream thing. It's just like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> You know, I, 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 I once did an, I once did a thesis, I think, or maybe not ten thousand words, maybe half that, on the American Dream in in movies, and and having seen a lot of these movies where they have the American Dream in there, oh god, it makes me vomit, really. For me, it's it's it, you've got the seventies going on, which it was yeah. a hell of a decade for cinema. It was a hell of a thing. You've also got location filming going on, which I I wish Hollywood did <laughs> to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you've also got some really kind of like complicated relationships happening in this film, like things that you don't really see much anymore. Um, but more than that, it's this kind of creeping dread when you go, I've, I've seen Invasion of Body Snatchers a number of times. And when you go back and watch it again, there are little things along the way, which are setting you up for where this is going. So scenes happen early on in the movies, in the movie and in the background, you'll see people running. And you just kind of like the first time you see the movie, you don't really think about this. But then when you come back to it, they're, they're not running for a bus. They're running because they're scared. And they're just kind of like in the background here or there. And as the film goes on, you get more and more people running. And this kind of creeping paranoia about what's going on. It's just, it's really, not, it, it, I, I completely get that it doesn't work for everyone, but it really works for me. Mm. Um, there's even, there's this conversation in the beginning. I, I must have seen the film about 10 times before I noticed that, um, Donald Sutherland is your lead character. He's a he, he works for the health authority. So he goes into restaurants and he you know, checks out whether they they can continue or not. There's a scene in the beginning where he's in a restaurant and he finds something in a casserole and he holds it in a pair of tweezers. Oh yes, I remember that. Yes. What, what yeah. is this? And the chef goes, "It's a caper," and he goes, no, "It's a rat turd." And the chef goes, "It's a caper." <laughs> it's a rat turd. And very, very, very early on in this film, you have people arguing about whether something is or isn't what you think it is, which is where that film ends up going. And um, completely get that it doesn't work for you. But for me, I love that one. I think that's where I'm going to go next week. Um, I mean, time, time can be a healer. And now that now that I haven't got that thing in my head constantly where I'm having to dissect, 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 yes, I, hmm. I could I'd probably give that one another bash at some point. But uh, that's your lot, really. We've got a we've got a couple of half recommendations, I think, yeah. and also what we're going to be doing personally. So, if you are celebrating Halloween, is anyone celebrating Halloween this year? I, 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 I don't think it's encouraged. At the moment. I don't think it is at all. Uh, well, whatever you are doing, if you're continuing to stay in your house, then at least turn the lights off and watch a horror film. Uh, if you're doing that this time, which which you may have been doing throughout the year anyway, it, it, it's not the same, is it? This year, no. Mm. no. It's a, it's a little bit different. I've got um, the, the the news networks on my horror channel at the moment. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> 1977 Invasion of Body Snatchers film is light relief in a way. Certainly is. Uh, yep. Yeah, so there we go. That's your lot. Uh, and then I'll be back soon with Paul to do some regular episoding uh, in the new future. So happy Halloween, everybody. Enjoy it if you can. <laughs>